0: Well, this morning we have Levi, and I apologize if I say your last name wrong, Bakerink, Um, all right, Um, from all saints with us this morning to bring us the word, and uh, he has asked that we look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. So if you would stand for the reading of the Lord's word, we're stepping into uh, a conversation that the apostles and Jesus are having, and so these are Jesus's words. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So also, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have shown us who you are and who you are and who we are and Father, I pray that as Levi comes and opens your word to us that you would add your spirit's uh, interpretation to our hearts, convict us of sin, encourage us. And can and edify us this morning. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone.
2: So good to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, greetings from Richmond and from All Saints. Uh, we've uh, been praying for you all, and I hope and want you to know that, and we uh, feel for you, and we're praying for you, and here for you, and I'm so thankful to be representing uh, them this morning, and to gather with you, and, and worship together as blood-bought brought, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a wonderful thing to be able to be here together, and worship together. Well, thank you, uh, Anthony, for uh, reading the word and praying for us, and that was excellent pronunciation, like that never happens on the first try, so congratulations, thank you for that, and for Ben for praying for everyone uh, for leading the worship uh, this morning. Well, as Anthony read for us, um, if you do have your Bibles, and if you have not yet, please turn there with me uh, to Luke chapter 17, chapter 17. And as I was preparing for this, uh, this past week, as I was thinking on this passage, it reminded me of uh, one of my first jobs, my first big job growing up in Springfield, Missouri. That's where I'm from. That's where my family is. I worked at the front desk of a hotel, uh, checking people in and out, uh, all kinds of interesting characters uh, in and out of that hotel. Worked there for several years, Uh, But one of the aspects of the job that this reminded me of was at the end of the night, every night, no matter what, we had to close out of our register. We had to cash out. Every night, we had to tally up all the check-ins and check-outs, all the gift shop uh, purchases, no matter how small, everything had to be accounted for. And at the end of the night, that ledger, that account had to read zero. And if it didn't read zero, then I wasn't going home. So I was very adamant about getting this right. And most nights it was just fine. Maybe a quarter here or there was missing. We had a change jar for that, uh, such occasions like that. But some nights there was $100, a few hundred dollars. I think one night I actually had (laughs) $1,000 that was supposed to be in my drawer that was just unaccounted for. And I had no idea where that money went. All I did know was where I was not going, and that was going home. I was not going home until I found that money. I was not free to go home until all that money was accounted for. You see, that's just business. And so my question for us this morning, and for you this morning, is have you done business with God? Have you done business with him? What does your account look like? Are you resting on your own works, on your own abilities? Are you pulling from your own resources to make yourself equal and accountable and that, that, that ledger uh, zero with God, all the matters taken care of? Or are you trusting in someone else's righteousness? namely our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that's the heart of this, uh, this passage this morning, the heart of Jesus' story, is where are we putting our trust? Where are we looking for to make our account equal and square with God? And this is the problem we have of the lack of assurance and the lack of self-worth that we have in our society today that's, that's so prevalent because we look to ourselves only. And we all have that tendency to look to ourselves for our our ability to measure up to God and his standards for us. But our passage today knocks down those idols, knocks down those ideas that we can measure up on ourselves. And it, it drives us to Christ. It drives us to look to him. So let's turn now, let's look at that, this story that was read to us and see what it says to us and to our lives. We're reading and picking up in the middle section of Luke's gospel. It's the way that this this, uh, gospel is structured from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 19 is the story of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 51 says, When the days drew near to be taken up, he, that is Jesus, he set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so from chapter 9 all the way to 19 is a list and a collection of stories and parables about what Jesus is about to go and do and to go and accomplish for his people. Stories about the kingdom of God, parables describing what this kingdom is like and how we are able to enter in to this kingdom. And so why this parable? Why this story here? It seems somewhat out of place even. The next section in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 11, uh, changes courses again and says on the way to Jerusalem. So we have a new section there, but why this parable? Why does this come before? What is this parable doing? Why is Jesus telling it to his disciples? We see Jesus uses a a common uh, rhetorical tool. Uh, You might have heard this described to you before and read it before, this argument from the lesser to the greater. An argument from the lesser to the greater. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, if you look with me at the text, he says, will any one of you, speaking to his disciples, speaking to those who are following him, will any one of you, think about yourselves now, will any one of you who has a servant who's plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table. My servant, come and recline at table with me. Will any one of you say that? Of course you would not. Will he not rather say to him, no, you are my servant, so you prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, that's when you will eat. And drink? And does he even thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Is he even worthy of a commendation and a thank you and a praise for his work? Not at all. So you also, so you also when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So you see the lesser to the greater argument. Even these worldly masters with their worldly and earthly servants, if even the earthly master, who is still just another human toward his servant, is able to say these things to his servant, no, you prepare dinner for me. I will eat and drink, and then you will eat and drink if he has that kind of command, that kind of authority over a servant, how much more does God, the creator of all the universe, see, have that authority and that claim over our entire obedience? And how much more are we obligated to obey all that he commands? And even when we have done all that we can, we never put him under any obligation whatsoever. He does not owe us anything, but we have only ever done what is our duty, and we remain unworthy servants. Well, to put it another way, this parable teaches us that God, as our rightful owner, requires of us perfect obedience to his law, and he owes us nothing in return. And Jesus teaches us this parable so that we would understand the worthlessness of even our best efforts to keep his law. And so drive us to Christ. Drive us to the one who perfectly kept the law for us on our behalf and to the father who generously rewards us above and beyond even what he is due. In every way, We are and will only ever be unworthy servants, but we serve a worthy God. We are unworthy servants in every way, but we serve a worthy God. And so that is where I want us to spend our time this morning, looking at those two aspects, those two parts of this parable, how we are unworthy and unprofitable servants and the worthy God that we serve. So the first thing we see, the first truth we must grasp is that we are unworthy, unworthy in every way. This word "unworthy," uh, I mentioned it. It can also be translated "unprofitable." I'm reading from the ESV translation. Uh, maybe one of your translations has "unprofitable" or something different. But the sense of this word, there's a there's a, 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 a in a lesser sense of the word. It can mean unprofitable uh, economically. It can refer to a servant who, uh, no matter how much he tries, he never actually has any return on investment. All of his works end up costing the master as opposed to providing any net benefit at all. And that's a helpful picture for us in this story of someone who is never actually adding anything to the table but it's more than just economics. We have to understand the fuller picture of this word because this is a parable about the kingdom of God. This is a parable about what that kingdom looks like and what Christ is about to do as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem when he will be taken up on the cross. No, we remain unworthy and unprofitable in every sense, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. You know, we, we like to say, uh, do your best, and your best is enough. Uh, we, we teach our kids that. We, we say, we, we don't care. We don't mind how high your grades are. or If you make the team or how well you do on the team, all we want for you is to try your hardest and do your best. And that's what my parents taught me growing up. And even in the, the, the corporate world, Um, Maybe doing your best still might not fly, but even then there is still rewards given. Like there's still uh, accomplishments and achievements that are required, but there's still benefits and rewards given when those things are accomplished, but not so here, not in this case. Do your best is never enough. You will not measure up. There's no raise, no promotion awaiting you from when you've, accomplished everything you can, because when you've done that, you've only done only that which was your duty. And so that raises the question for us, what are we unworthy of? What are the the commands of God that he talks about in verse uh, 9? the servant doing all that he was commanded. What has been commanded of us? Well, simply put, God commands us and what is required of us, the rule of our obedience, as our confession and catechism describes, is obedience to God's revealed will and the moral law. The moral law, which is comprehended in the 10 commandments given through Moses to the people of Israel. And it's the moral law that our own Lord Jesus Christ summarized for us in his words that we love the Lord, our God, with all our heart and soul, mind and strength. And that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That is what's required of us. That is what we are commanded to obey. And it was required of us from the very beginning. That was what was required of Adam in the garden when God entered into a covenant of works or a covenant of life with him, conditioned upon perfect and perpetual obedience. You know, God did not give him the moral law in so many words as we have it today, but the command was the same. Adam was to love the Lord, his God, with all of his faculties. And he was to love his neighbor his wife Eve as himself and Eve to love Adam as herself and both of them in the garden under the under the protection of the Lord to trust in him and follow his commands to not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil but to trust in him and rely on him but we know how the story goes that unfortunate and tragic story that instead of trusting and relying on his God and his creator who had breathed life into him Adam spit in the face of God he desired to be like God he desired his own autonomy he did not trust in him but he wanted uh, all of that for himself and so he took and he ate of the fruit and rebelled against God and so sin entered the world and as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve Now we have that guilt. We've incurred that guilt. We're born sinful. We're born needy. We are unworthy from the very first breath that we take because in that garden we sinned in Adam. Now that's an unpopular doctrine today total depravity of original sin. We like to think that uh, babies are the most pure and innocent uh, little people in the world. And to that, I would just say you haven't spent much time in a church's nursery. It's remarkable what those babies and those toddlers will get away with when their parents are not around. But we have been born in sin. And not only that, Now that we're sinners, sin is what we do. It's in our nature. And our case gets even even worse. Not only are we unworthy because of our federal head, Adam, who disobeyed, and we too incurred that guilt and that sin. But in our daily lives, we continuously break God's law. As we confess earlier today, earlier in our service, We do not love others as we ought. We think too highly of ourselves. And we break God's law. We can break it either by sins of commission, the things that we do, that we actively do, as Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. We commit adultery with our eyes, with the lust of our hearts, and giving ourselves over to those desires. We feel prideful. We are envious. We're we're jealous of one another, of one another's house, of one another's family, of one another's job or status. That can even lead to hate, inordinate motions and desires against our brothers and sisters in Christ who Jesus died for. And not only that, we sin by the things that we leave undone. The kind words that our husband or our wife needed to hear that night, but we're too proud to say. The ways that we should have loved our children and not exasperated them. The ways in which we could have loved our neighbor or loved God. But instead we out of our own pride, or our own sloth, or our own whatever it might be. We've disobeyed him. We've not done all that he has commanded. Barely anything that he has commanded us have we done. As a servant in our story, we haven't been plowing the field well. We've left half of it unplowed and the other half haphazardly plowed with little effort at all. We've been called to keep the sheep, but we don't know where the sheep are. They've been wandering. And the ones we have kept around, we've barely fed and watered and and kept healthy. Now you might be asking, you might be wondering, well, what are my good works, what are they worth at all? Isn't, don't I have the spirit? Aren't, aren't I a new creation? Aren't I uh, regenerated and made alive by the spirit and able to do good works that are holy and pleasing to God? And yes, that is absolutely true. Absolutely. But what is the place of our good works in regards of our salvation? You see, even our spirit-wrought works are filled with corruption. They've been, they've been tainted by our own sinful nature. And if we are ever, ever to take our own good works and present them to God and say, here is my works, here's my efforts, I present these to you to balance my account at the end of the day, at that final day, there would be no hope for us then those works are never even the works that god is working through us to do and he does do that they would never square our account with god even our best efforts even if we kept all that he has commanded us to keep if we kept the moral law of god perfectly in perfect obedience we would yet always ever remain unprofitable and unworthy servants only ever doing What was our duty? Calvin summarized it this way. It's so helpful for us. He says, let the most perfect man descend into his own conscience. Look inside yourself and bring all his actions to account. And what will the result be? Will he feel calm and quiescent, as if all matters were well arranged for between himself and God? Or will he not rather be stung with dire torment when he sees that the ground of condemnation is within him if he be estimated by his works? You see, conscience, when it beholds God, must either have sure peace with his justice or be beset by the terrors of hell. Those are the only two options that we have this morning. And if you're relying on your own strength and your own efforts, if you're digging down into yourself and looking back through your whole life and finding that best, most perfect work, that you're most proud of that you think is is the, the most righteous thing you have ever done, and you bring that before God and you give it to him and say, Look, look at what I've done. Will that square your account with him? Or if you are relying on those, will that not only plunge your conscience and beset your conscience with the terrors of hell? See, that is what our passage is telling us this morning that even our best efforts will profit us nothing in the sight of God. But we will always remain unworthy servants. But the good news of the gospel is that we serve a worthy God. We serve a worthy God. He did not leave us in that depth of our sin and misery. When we could not ever amount and get out of that on our own, when nothing that we did could ever amount to anything to satisfy that account, that that righteous account of his divine justice, he reached down in time and space and into humanity and provided the way because he is a worthy God. In what ways is he worthy? First, he's the only and imminent, holy, and perfect, righteous judge of all the earth. His perfection, his glory, his radiance is blinding. I love the way that uh, one commentator put it. He says this, for if the stars which shine most brightly by night lose their brightness on the appearance of the sun, what do we think will be the case with the highest purity of man? when contrasted with the purity of God. Have you contemplated the holiness of God? What an incredible book by R.C. Sproul, if you have not read that, The Holiness of God. What an incredible book. And that man gave his entire life to that message that we do not know who we are until we fully grasped who God is. And that's all that Calvin talks about too in his Institutes: is knowing God and knowing ourselves. And so, just think for a moment. Think of the most saintly and righteous person that you know of. For me, it'd be my grandpa up in Pella, Iowa, an old Dutch farmer. But just think of of all that that person, all that they do how they are prayer warriors how how they read and study their bibles how you've never heard them say uh, wrong against a brother or a sister and hold them up in your mind's eye and compare them against the brilliance of god's holiness and his righteousness will they not fade and dim at the sight of his majesty You see, that is the God that we serve. He is holy. He is righteous. He alone is pure. There is no shifting shadow among him. No, he is worthy because he is, and he alone is righteous. And he is worthy because he is the creator of all. Not only is he the self-existing God who existed from all eternity, but he's also the creator God who created everything that exists in our world today. And because of that, he's the rightful owner of all things. When we do what is our duty, we under no way obligate him or bind him to return us any favor. Because he is our rightful owner our rightful master does not the potter have right over the clay who are we O man to answer back to god it's the like the famous well-known abraham kuyper quote that there is no square inch over the entire uh, human existence over which christ does not declare mine You see, it all belongs to him. And we are only servants. But we serve a worthy God. And we serve a worthy God and he is worthy. And we know this because of his nature. The nature of God, that he is a merciful God, full of steadfast love for his people, slow to anger, an abounding and covenantal loyalty and love. And we see this so clearly as the opposite and the foil of the master in our story. You see, we are a lot like the servants in the story. We're like the servant who's toiling in the field and coming in after a hot and sweaty day and needing some food and some water to drink. We're like that. We remain unprofitable, but our Lord our savior and our god he is not like the master you see where this master in our story tells the servant to no you wash yourself and you dress yourself and prepare me dinner our lord our god in heaven he welcomes us in says no i will wash you clean your sins are forgiven. Here, take this robe of my righteousness and you wear it. When we come in from the field, he doesn't tell us to go and prepare dinner so that he may eat, but he welcomes us in and says, No, you come, recline at table, come and take and eat as we will in just a few moments. Take and eat the bread. This is my body given for you. Drink of the cup, the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. You come, and you take, and you eat, and you drink, and you will find the satisfaction and the peace of conscience for your souls. And not only that, he's even more worthy still. Because after he's washed us, after he's clothed us, after he's fed us, he does not leave us as mere servants. But he brings us into the family and adopts us as sons and daughters of the most high God. And the sons and daughters of the most high God, we are heirs of the inheritance of the kingdom of God, where Jesus has gone before as our forerunner. Where he is, there we shall be also. And he's given us the spirit, that spirit that testifies to you and to me as we read these words that tells us, no, as these words are true, so it is true for you. It reminds me of one of my most favorite promises in all of Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so you are. Not and so you will be as soon as you've measured up, not as soon and so you will be when your account has been uh, zeroed out, when you've paid every last penny that you can. And so you are now at this moment, at this time, God has accomplished it all for you. Christ went out into the field and kept our obedience for us. He kept the sheep He plowed the land. He kept the perfect and perpetual obedience to God's moral law. He kept the whole law and all of it was fulfilled in him. And we received his perfect obedience and his righteousness. And he received our guilt and our sin. And he bore it in his body on the tree. So that we might have life with him everlasting. And so I ask you again, have you done business with God? I don't know you all. This is my first Sunday here with you. And so I just present you that question Have you done business with God? Are you trusting in your own righteousness this morning? Are you thinking that on that last day, as long as I do enough good works, that I can present that to God and then all matters will be squared away? Or are you putting the matter off entirely? You're thinking, Levi, that's an important question, but I just don't have time for it now. There's a lot of stuff going on. There is a lot of stuff going on in our country and in the world today. A lot of distractions. But have you done business with God this morning? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you putting off the question? Or are you resting in the righteousness of Christ that is given to you, freely offered in the gospel? Have you repented and believed in that promise, taken hold of that righteousness, put on that robe of Christ's obedience? Because that is the only way that we will have peace of conscience with God. And it is an incredible peace to have knowing that you belong to God and that he belongs to you. He is your God. You are his children. We will always remain unworthy of God's love, but he is a worthy God, an indulgent father who loves to give good gifts to his children and he spared not his only son, but gave him to you. So rest in him, receive that gift of that salvation and look to him always and
1: only to your salvation. Let's pray.
2: Gracious heavenly father, we confess to you that we so easily and so quickly want to look inward, and to ourselves, and to take pride in what we have done, to think that somehow, out of our own strength, we can measure up. Lord, I pray that you would tear down those idols that we create in our hearts, that you would tear down our own self-reliance, and that we would look to you only, the maker of heaven and earth, who gave your son, who died for our sins, and and obeyed uh, through his life your law perfectly and completely. And would we look to him only for our salvation and rest upon him only. And by doing so, would we have peace with you knowing that you are not only the righteous judge of all the earth, but you are an indulgent and loving and gracious and merciful father who loves his children. And so we pray this in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Well, this time now, I
2: will uh, invite the officers to come forward for the Lord's Supper, and let me read to us the words of institution. Here now the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you Now, just as we are not worthy of God's mercy and his love toward us, we don't come to this table as worthy or as having earned access to it, but God invites us freely to come and take and eat. And so if that is true of you, if if you have professed your faith in Christ, if you have Uh, are a baptized uh, member of the church and have grasped and taken hold of that baptism by professing your faith and reliance on that Christ who died for you and are a member in good standing with the church. And this table is for you. This table is for your spiritual nourishment and your growth and grace. Just as surely as you can take and eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you can know that the Lord is in heaven and He is reigning there now. And he is for you in the gospel. There's nothing special about these elements. They don't turn into God's body. It does not become God's blood. His, his, uh, Jesus' body is ever present and reigning in heaven at the Father's right hand. But he is spiritually here and present with you to nourish you, to strengthen your faith through these elements. So if that is true of you, then come and take and eat. If that is not true of you, if you've not been baptized, if you're not, uh, have not professed your faith in Christ, then we would ask that you would let these elements pass by, lest you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves as God's own wor- word warns us to. But if you have accepted him, if you're resting in him alone, then this meal is for you, just as God is for you. Well, let us pray. Most merciful and gracious God, loving Father, who spared not your own Son, we come humbly before you now. We do not presume to come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but only in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather, gather the crumbs under this table, yet you nonetheless bid us to come and take and eat. And so bless this ordinance that you have given to us that we may truly and spiritually receive and feed upon them, upon the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Amen.
1: He's souls by sin sin sorry, bow with sorry, sorrow so
2: body of Christ, given for you. Let's eat together. And in the same manner also, after supper, he took the cup, and having given thanks in his name, he said to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Yeah. blood of christ undeserved but nonetheless truly shed for you let's drink together let's pray lord jesus you tell us to come and come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and that i will give you rest Lord Jesus, you alone, you are the one that is gentle and lowly of heart. Your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. We will never find true rest until we have rested in you. There is no God like our God. May you receive all the glory and honor and praise that is due your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please, if you would uh, stand with
1: me and uh, we will sing the doxology. Amen. Well, if you would, uh, turn with me in your uh, bulletin. Let us
2: uh, confess our faith together from the Apostles' Creed. Let's confess together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, And the
1: life everlasting. Amen. Please turn your. Hand.